Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division Three coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. So please contribute to the show as much as you can. Our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football, and this is really for you to be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan, something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar and full contact and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model at usafootball.com backslash FDM. On today's podcast, we're going to talk sacks and takeaways with Missouri S&T head football coach Todd Drury. And so from my understanding of coach and, and looking at his Twitter, S&T stands for sacks and tackles. That's our exact topic. And back for a third time on our podcast, Coach Todd Drury. Coach, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate appreciate being back. So the, the last time we talked and you shared with us a, a very innovative idea on how to practice, and we talked about using the cans and the setup there and I, I also had an article on that where we shared some of your video as well. So in our show notes, I'll make sure we link back to both of those things. And then uh, we, we also talked, you know, the first time, Coach, I think at the time you were the defensive coordinator. I don't think you're the head coach yet. But we talked about your background and your growth as a coach and a, and a lot of different topics there in that first one. So if you want to hear a little bit on Coach's philosophy and the things he's learned along the way, we'll also link that one in the show notes. But our topic today, as we said, is sacks and tackles something you believe in certainly as a defensive guy and something you guys have been been good at you've been able to excel in those areas so coach talk to us and and give us an overview about uh, what we're gonna hear yeah so I don't know I was, I was kind of writing down my thoughts on sacks and takeaways and you know hitting the quarterback and, and taking the ball away from the offense and the first thing that came to my mind is just that it's it's a result play right like you got to get everything else right first and then from there you can move on to uh, finishing the play with a sack or finishing the play with a takeaway. And so, you know, there's a lot of other things that you have to do before you get to the results or before you get to the finish of the play. And so I think still focusing on, you know, you can't spend all your time talking about hitting the quarterback. You can't spend all your time talking about taking the ball away. There has to be a balance of like, hey, here's our fundamentals, sticking to your fundamentals, sticking to your, your, your core beliefs. And then from there, be able to, you know, once you get the opportunity to make the play, making the play. And I think that's the first thing is just is thinking about it. It's like, this is the, this is the end. This is the result of good work, right? Everything is the result of our work. And so 
this again, you know, hitting the quarterback and, and finish the play with the sack or, or finish the play with the ball is, is the result of the good work throughout the play. And so sticking to those, sticking to those beliefs, I think that's, that's pretty key. So that was, that was kind of my initial thought on, on sacks and takeaways. And then from there I have kind of frameworks as far as like, you know, how to get from A to B really. Yeah. Well, you know, when we, we talked about that, I think in, in your very first episode too, when we did get in the defensive side of things, but yeah, let's move from there, coach. Let's, let's talk about the next phase of this and the next note you have. Give it to us. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about takeaways first. So when it comes to takeaways, I'm kind of with Malcolm Gladwell on like the 10,000 hour rule. Like you have to devote a lot of time to making it part of the way you play. So like, we are huge on – we do a takeaway circuit three, four days a week. We do it pregame. It's, it's kind of ingrained in, into who we are. And we do, you know, the same drills basically as everybody else, you know, a strip, a punch. Uh, we do a deep shoulder drill and keeping the quarterback in the pocket. We do a, a scoop and score. You know, we talk about city fumble, country fumble, where you're at on the field. You know, are you going to scoop and score? Are you going to fall on it? You know, we do a very, you know, very generic circuit, I'm sure, like everybody else does. At the beginning of the year, we, we, we get down to the fine points of it, you know, or where you see an error on the ball, you know, all these different things. And, and we, we really focus in on it very specifically at the beginning of the year. And then by the, you know, by, by the week one, it's really a one-rep circuit. But it's, what we want to do is we just want it always to be on our mind. Taking the ball, it has to be on our mind, and it has to be a point of, of emphasis. And you get what you emphasize, you get what you, you, know, what you celebrate. And so I think just, you know, every day, coming in there and doing those things and, and getting those circuits is huge. It's absolutely huge. And then from there, how do you practice? You know, do, you, do you allow the defense to take the ball away in practice? And, and, you know, especially in the spring ball and in camp and when you've got good on good stuff going, you know, there's always that tussle of like, you know, you want a quick whistle, you want a thud, you want to be safe, you want to keep guys off the ground. But at the same time, you got to you gotta allow the defense to strip the ball. And, and so we have a team competition every day between the offense and defense and, you know, whoever – gets you know the most takeaways we set a takeaway goal or a, or a turnover goal and if we if we get two or more then the def- the offense does push-ups and if we get two or less than two then the then the defense does push-ups and so we have a competition every day between o and d but and you know we always get into you know offense to be like oh the whistle blew or whatever and thankfully now i'm the head coach so i can make some executive decisions here <laughs> and so i just tell them hey i don't care if the whistle's blown or not you know we we've all seen bad officiating we gotta protect the ball at all times so we try to we try to still keep it relative to the whistle, but we we allow them to go after the ball in all those good on good periods as well. And and if the ball does come out before or after the whistle, we we count it as a takeaway. So I'm a defensive head coach, so I can I can talk that way. But I think it's 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 good for ball security regardless. But one really one good thing you know we got from Blake Anderson down at Arkansas State a couple of years ago was, you know you never know when the whistle blows when you're watching tape, especially when you're trying to grade effort. And uh, one thing they were doing down there, which we took with us, was they had a guy with a flag who would be, you know, he's their ball spotter. You know, they're an up-tempo offense, and he would spot the ball. And then, you know, as soon as the whistle blown, he would throw up a flag in the air. Well, he was close enough to the play. He was always in the wider tight shots. You could always see at what point the flag went up in the air. So then you would know when the whistle was blown in practice to great effort. And I always and that was. I always thought that was a great idea. We've we've been doing that for three years now. But yeah, just having your ball spotter throw up a flag as before they go spot that next ball, so you can as you're watching tape, you can say, okay, that was that was a loaf or that wasn't, you know, because you want to hold your kids accountable. But 
you know, defensively we're playing these up-tempo off- offenses in practice, and sometimes the whistle's blown, the offense is still running down the field, they're running an X receiver on from the other sideline, they're snapping the ball before we can get back in the stands. And so you want to hold kids accountable, but at the same time you want to have an idea when what was realistically the end of that play, you know? Yeah, it's it's something, you know, the details, right? The little details, the things that you take for, for granted, like even, even some of the coaching on film, this is second grade idea I got today about just things you can look for on film to grade certain things. So we were talking to Keith Bearfield from Louisiana Lafayette, and he talked about, you know, when he was the OC at Quincy, how, because they were an up-tempo team, they wanted to see that, you know, as that play-in, did everybody's, you know, receivers, talking about receivers, did everybody's head snap to the sideline, you know, to look for the next call. And they got graded on that, you know, practice film and game film, because they wanted that to be part of what they do. Same thing here, like, that that is a very difficult thing, especially you know a lot of times you just don't turn that audio on and upload that audio because it takes up space. So, how do you know when the flag blows? I love that idea; just a great little detail. The other thing that came to mind as we were talking about takeaways, I've seen seen so much now of you know thud used to be the way, and you could work in in getting in on a ball and thud and stuff like that. But I've seen a lot of teams going to just tagging off. And back at our national conference, had a chance to talk with. Rich Scangrello, who's with the Eagles now, was OC at Denver last year. And he talked about how during OTAs and stuff like that, instead of tagging off, they were pulling flags because guys weren't getting in the right body position, you know, and just kind of not in the right place. They wouldn't have made a tackle from standing up like that and tagging off on a hip. And, and my thought was, as you were talking about that, wondering about how does that affect, you know, working for for turnovers. So I guess, do you use any periods in practice where I guess tag is, is the tempo rather than like a thud or fit up? And if so, how would you handle the turnover portion of that? Yeah. So anytime we go, once we get into the season and we do a lot of ones versus twos during the season. So when our one offense is up and our two defenses out there, all of that is tap tempo for us. So what that means is we're going to come to balance and tap on the hip but anytime like in the spring or in fall camp when we're still in thud you know we still want to practice good tackling we have combined kind of tap and, and thud in one and and so when a when a defender's coming up to make a tackle if, he, if he's in front of the guy or coming from a 45 degree angle then we want that guy to put shoulder contact on the ball here but if he's coming from behind or from a chase position we do we don't ever reach and grab we simply again, come to balance and tap the hip, kind of similar to that flag situation like you're talking about because you just don't want anybody coming from behind and grabbing a player or, you know, chasing the guy down. You want to see that great effort, but you don't want to, you know, you don't want that guy to, to grab that reach and grab. Anytime you get that reach and grab it, you're not, you're not bending your hips and, and working on your footwork. So we've kind of combined those two together, and I always err on the side of like, hey, let's, when you don't know, go ahead and tap that guy and, and let's get to Saturday. But, but at the same time, you know, then you got guys, you know, some DBs that are, you know, hate to say it, but, you know, those guys don't, don't want to come down there and, you know, show their contact courage all the time. So you got some guys tapping from, from uh, like they got stretch Armstrong arms, you know. So, you know, you got to get on those guys as well. But I think either way you're coaching guys. And, but I'd rather always are on the side of, you know, body position and footwork and practice than the actual shoulder contact, you know. So obviously practicing them is huge. You know, so in the circuits and in practice, you got to practice taking the ball away. I think it has to matter. There has to be a immediate reward or, or punishment, you know, for, for taking the ball away or turning the ball over from a head coach philosophy. You know, this year we had new quarterbacks going into the game. So kind of speaking from the offensive philosophy here, we, we started a new quarterback this year. And so we had a quarterback competition going up through fall camp. 
And I told the guys, I said, hey, you know, one of the main things is going to be who throws the ball to us during fall camp. You know, if, if you don't throw the ball to us very much and you're still getting explosive plays and moving the ball down the field, then you'll probably be the starter. You know, if you get explosive plays and you're operating the offense, but you throw the ball to us a lot, you're not going to be the starter. It's just, <laughs> that's how it is. So that was, that was kind of how we went into it. So, yeah, so our, our offense is pretty good this year, though. So the next thing, you know, I think you, know, you look at a lot of different things when it comes to taking the ball away and, you know, you have contacts, takeaways where you're hitting the ball, whether it's with a shoulder or you know, in a plate with your helmet or a hand or you punch the ball out. And then, you know, there's a stat that I got from the Broncos a long time ago. I don't know if it's still relevant. I haven't, I haven't checked it, but it was that 75% of takeaways occur in the pocket. And so that was prior to the, the new quarterback rules and, and being able to hit quarterback in the NFL and all those things. So it might actually have gone up since then because now everybody just tries to go after the ball in the pocket. They don't hit the quarterback anymore. But, but yeah, so that's, that's something we definitely put an emphasis on is every time we're, you know, and this kind of pairs together with sacks and takeaways, but every time we go after the quarterback, we, we have to be going after the ball because that ball is so vulnerable in the pocket. And there's so much bad ball security by quarterbacks uh, if you're getting to that point of contact in the pocket. So um, that's huge for us. And then when it comes to interceptions, obviously you have to catch the ball, but I think mixing in coverages, you know, in terms of vision coverages where guys can, can read the quarterback and break off the ball and mixing in, you know, man types concepts, whether it's, you know, two free or man, man free or, uh, quarters coverage where you're man turning with your DBs. But I think, you know, both those, you know, I've heard guys make arguments that, oh, if you're man defense, you don't get as many interceptions. If you're vision defense, you get, you know, and I think, I think it all just comes back to the guys to be able to break on a ball. Like, I mean, rarely at any level does a quarterback just throw you the football. And so to be able to, to break on the ball and make a play has everything to do with the confidence of the defender and being in the right position. So regardless of if you're in man coverage, or if you're in zone coverage, I think it just comes back to the guys knowing the playbook and understanding, you know, what their job is, what their role is, and then their preparation of what routes are coming in and based off, you know, their their preparation. So I don't get hung up on that as more as I get hung up is where's your play to make, you know, whether we're in man or zone, where's your, where's your play to make. And and then also, you know, getting the quarterback off his first read. And, and we'll kind of talk about this when I talk about takeaway or sacks. But, you know, everything comes down to, you know, don't let the quarterback know where to go with the ball pre-snap. I mean, if he knows where to go with the ball pre-snap, it's going to be either a completion or a drop, right? I mean, and so you have to you have to show the quarterback, you have to change the quarterback's picture and get him thinking and get him off his first read and, and force him into a bad decision because every kid that's a starter has gone through fall camp and went through their decision-making process and learned their keys and reads, and, you know, he's not going to just toss you the ball. So I think you gotta you got to get him off that first read and then from there force him into making a poor decision under stress you know, creating fear, creating stress in the quarterback will make him make poor decisions and make him act outside of character. And so I think that's, you know, when it comes to takeaways. But, again, I think kind of going back to the top is, you know, talking about that 10,000-hour rule, like it just has to be in your DNA of what you do every day. We take the ball away, you know. And and so I think that's I think that's where it's at. Obviously, there's a lot of good points as far as how you're ripping and how you're punching and all those things. I, and all those details are great, but it just has to come back to part of who you are. Peanut Tillman, you know, you just, it's just it's who he was. Definitely. So, in, in thinking one more thing before we move on to sacks, just on the the takeaway part, I, I remember having Chris Kappas from Mountain Union on on for the first time, and you know. Cap has like been back and forth between O and D and <laughs> everything at Mount Union, but at the time he was on D, and we were talking about turnovers, and and he he gave us this tip that at least for him, 
he's looking for those opportunities when he could create them. And he felt that if he could really key in on when a team runs play action and being able to get, you know, that, that guy coming off the edge before that quarterback's, you know, snaps his head around after the fake and, and be there to, you know, essentially as he's coming out of, of that kind of fake, you know, with the ball vulnerable, be able to hit that guy or knock that ball out. That's what he was looking to do and that they had a, you know, a good, good portion of their turnovers off of those situations. So just that as an example, is there anything you look for as far as an opportunity when you're, you're scouting and game planning to create the turnovers, takeaways? Yeah, so we do, I'm sure a lot of people do this, but, you know, our each position group scouts another position group and everybody on defense scouts quarterback. And so we're all looking at the offensive players and, and that's a constant conversation throughout the week of who's a fumbler, like who, who's, a, who's a liability to the offense, you know, and seeing who specifically which players have ball security issues. And we talk about that nonstop throughout the week that we have to take the ball away from somebody who has poor ball security. We just have to. We have to punch that ball out of, you know, if they're a juker or, they're, you know, a quick twitch guy, it's, you know, or, or if it's a one-handed quarterback in the pocket or if it's a, a running back that every time he jump cuts, you know, there's air under his armpit, you know, those are things we just, we talk about throughout the week and everybody knows, and that is a point of emphasis. When it comes to that specific play calling, so we do a lot of disguise on the back end as far as trying to change the look for the quarterback. And I think, you know, there's like in our base coverage, our, our most ran two coverages are, are quarters and, and three deep, three under. And with both of those, you know, the hitch or, you know, a quick throw to the field of the boundary to an off corner, both those are there. And so I think we, everything, it's okay to have a, to know where you're vulnerable at as long as you have something to take that away. And so, you know, we mix in a lot of squat corner stuff, whether that's a three cloud or, or a Tampa two or opportunities for those corners to jump those hitches and those quick routes um, without worry. Um, so just, just allowing an offense to have something until you want to take it away. So that's, that's always something that, that we use as far as a play call in specific. Yeah, we definitely edge blitzers, you know, deep shoulder rushers, guys who are fast to fast off the edge. That's something we have in our, in our deal. But I think, you know, the biggest thing for me has been getting the quarterback off his first read. And we played a lot of the three safety stuff, you know, the Iowa State stuff. We played a lot of that this year. And what we do is we put all the five DBs across the board at, at 10 yards and then we out of that we'd play zero, we'd play man three, we'd play three three under, we'd play Tampa two, we'd play a three cloud. You know, we had a bunch of different coverages off of that. And what that did was that made the quarterback had to read the defense post snap and make a decision with the ball in his hand and, you know, allowed, you know, our guys up front to rush. And and that was that was really good for us. So from a play call standpoint, I would say, yeah, I mean, all those things, get the quarterback in the pocket, number one. From there, the coverage change up of what you're what you're showing them pre-snap, and then taking that away post-snap would be number two. So, coach, moving on then to the other part of this sacks. Let's talk about the things you believe in there. Well, again, I think it's finished play. It's the finish to a play. So, you know, you're, you're always you have to have the other things in place as far as you know your core beliefs. But I think you know sacks. That's a, it's an eleven man result where. You know, it's not one guy. Rarely is it one guy just coming off an edge or, or beating a guy and, and then, you know, coming free in, in less than, you know, one and a half seconds and hitting the quarterback. It's usually an 11-player 11, 11 result. So I think you have to marry your coverage and your rush together in a way where, you know, the more guys you bring in, the faster you got to get there. And then, 
you know, the last guys you're in, you got to try to scheme some stuff up and, and get the quarterback to go through his progression and take take routes away. So, but okay, so here, here's here's something I've been working on lately: dictating protection. And so this is my question for you, Keith, because I mean, you you know, obviously been a very successful you know coordinator, and you talk to you talk to the best minds everywhere. So, but in my mind. I've kind of got to three different types, like talking about protection, right? Offensive line protection, three different types of scenarios where either one with offensive line calls all the protection. They, they, they get up there, they get a play call and, and they, they make all their checks and, and it's all dictated by the front and the tilt and, and numbers and all that stuff. Then you also have one where, where the, their quarterback gives a call to the offensive line or a signal to the offensive line. And then from there, they make their calls and checks. And then and the third type where, you know, it's purely just a called-in protection, where whether it's five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, it's a call, and that's what it is. I mean, what is there any other way or how have you seen it done? What, what, do you, what would you say the most common type of protection format is when you talk to offense coordinators or offense line coaches? Yeah, as, as far as the method and how it's going to be called, I've found, man, more often than not that it's a called – protection that coaches are, are calling it within the play call that it's going to be set a certain way. Now, I, I was never comfortable with that. Our offensive line coach did a great job preparing our guys. So we kind of made it. And when we would do our protection meetings, the quarterbacks would, would come in with the offensive line during those. And they talk about, you know, how we saw, uh, you know, we were going to call our protection, who, who was going to be ID'd in that as the point, as the mic. And, and where the sort was going to work out there. And it, obviously by front, it will work out a lot of times, you know, if we were seeing the odd front, usually there was going to be that linebacker who did not blitz. So we kind of would not include him in it. And the quarterback would have to have that guy. But we wanted the quarterback to really be in tune with, with what was going on up front and an understanding of, of essentially where, where his trouble could be, who could come, who could come free if they brought one more than we were protecting. A lot of times, you know, we would check out the back, check them out rather than just leave them out of protection right away. I mean, we were not an air raid team by any means, so it wasn't like that guy was free releasing. And we would always tell that guy to err on the side of getting out late because it would was kind of better for him anyway because coverage would drop and he'd catch the ball underneath and get some space. So to me, that was the way to do it, and it kind of, you know, it would help us a little bit in in making sure that at the very least, even if we were wrong, the quarterback knew where where trouble could be. Been a long time, I guess, before college. I, I would call the protection, but I just found it a better method to do it that way. And then you know we went to pistol. You know, and our our evolution into a pistol team was primarily because we got so much of of the pressure chasing or checking based on the back set. So it was something for us that. We tried to take away keys as as much as we could and try to at least put the chalk in our own hands there for at least, you know, to, to start things off and be able to say, this is this is how we're going to do it. So I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm not as familiar with just saying, hey, this is it and here's our adjustments. But, you know, for us, it's been a variation of, you know, a man slide and a slide side as we got into some different types of pressures and a little bit more of simulated pressures i know a wabash used to do that to us a ton just walk everybody up and and sometimes overload a side and whatever so we we ended up you know basically with three on one side and three on the other was kind of like we had two slide sides was how it worked in order to handle some of that stuff yeah yeah that's good that's good that's kind of been 
you know, the first thing I did when we kind of got put on hold here for spring ball was I started calling all these old line coaches and, and trying to figure out, figure out better on learning more protection. So, yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about hitting the quarterback, I mean, obviously, you know, the guys on the other side of the ball, they do a good job too. And so you, you have to do your work in terms of figuring out how to affect their protections. And so, you know, you have five man, you have five men with a checkout, like you were talking about, you have six man pro, and then you have seven man, which I call, I just have a generic column for that, which I call max pro. And I always have a note there. Every time they go max pro, it's like, Hey, don't blitz. Right. You just, you're just burning dudes into, into whatever. But so, you know, I think the other thing, so, like I said, these things all go together. So five man pro equals five routes. And so there's, that's going to stress your coverage in terms of, you know, what your, how many guys you're bringing, you know, six man pro, there's only four routes. And so if you can keep the back end, keep the, you know, six man protection. Then I think, you know, there's only four, four routes going. And so if you're playing seven on four, you know, it's a, that's pretty good, you know? And so uh, I think um, just trying to marry up the two of your pressures and then understanding the types of protections you're getting and then how to dictate the protections. And so, you know, like, um, and then understanding like why they're, what's the, what's the reason for calling each one, you know, and, and, uh, and how to, how to get the slide side, how to get the man side. And then, you know, are they, are they throwing hot, you know, who's the back checking off of all those things. And so for us, you know, we're a three down team and we know we play tight front is what it's called across America. Um, but essentially we're bare defense. And so, we show as many bear looks as possible. Um, and so, you know, we try to, you know, everybody only has two or three ways to protect bear. It's big on big, you know, it's, it's full slide or it's, you know, some sort of sprint out or, or something like that, or you can try to dual read stuff. Um, but, you know, everybody's only going to do it a couple of different ways. And so we try to figure out what those ways are. And then from there pinpoint, how do we dictate to get what we want? And then from there, if we want to blitz the slide, if we're doing anything to the slide side, we try to pick the slide. If we're trying to, if we're attacking the man side, we try to twist on the man side. If we're, if we're bringing four man pressure, we try to blitz the hot guy. And so whoever the back's reading off, we try to bring him in to keep him in. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's two other thoughts. There's one is get your best guy a one-on-one. And then the other thought is to get their worst guy, make him be their best. And so, you know, make their, you know, everybody, there's five guys up there. They can't all be, you know, superstars. And so make that guy have to defend every, everything as much as possible. And, in and we, we had a lot of calls where we'd put our best guy on the worst guy and, uh, and make that guy block. So, so yeah, so I, I think. Yeah. Well, that's, it's always the, the problem, right? I mean, when I, I would look at why did things, why did we get sacked? I mean, it was just, you know, we we were always pretty sound in like getting matched up the right way. It was your guy beat my guy. Your guy was better. Yeah, and so that's you know that's there's a, yeah. I try to do my due diligence in terms of like okay, why are we doing what we're doing in terms of why are we running this blitz? Why are we how are we dictating this protection to know we're getting this you know to to call this play? You know, very pragmatic thinking. But at the end of the day, a lot of times it just comes down to hey, can we get this guy on this guy one on one? or even in a slide, you know, just make them block them one-on-one and, and that, that usually works out. So, so yeah. So, but well, yeah, when it comes to the quarterback, again, it's a way of life here at S&T. <laughs> we talk about it a lot. And I think the other thing we do is, you know, I was D-line guy, so our defense is kind of built from the front back. But, you know, we, we rush the quarterback. We don't rush lanes. And so everything's predicated off the initial set of the offensive line. But then at that point, we try to press the quarterback because you know how the ball – I mean, everybody's a shotgun. The ball 
sometimes it's high right, sometimes it's high left. You know, protections change where the launch point is. It's just like, you know, like a punt team. You know, we try to rush where the quarterback's going to be and rush that guy regardless of where the offensive lineman is. So, like, if he kicks across my face, I allow our guys to come inside 100 out of 100 times as long as they stack them back and get to the deep shoulder on the quarterback. You know, when we first talk about pass rush, I just take, like, a, a bullseye, right, it has your crosshairs, and I put it where the quarterback is, and we divide that up into, you know, four quadrants there. We, we have two deep shoulder players, which would be, you know, the upfield, you know, those guys, and then we have two guys that are supposed to be on the face of the quarterback. And so, you know, we're always, uh, you know, even though we're three down, primarily, you know, 90% of the time we're performing pass rush. So we have two face players and two deep shoulder players, and they're going to work their moves. We're going to run our stunts, but they're all designed to have, you know, two guys on the face and two guys on the deep shoulder. And regardless of where that quarterback goes, where that, where that, you know, what, what happens during that play, they're expected to finish where they're supposed to finish. And, and so, you know, inside or outside of the tackle, you know, inside or outside of the guard. I mean, a lot of times, you know, a three down front, we get, you know, a four man slide to us. You know, that nose has to backdoor that slide to get back to the face of the quarterback. Otherwise, he'll end up on the far hash, you know. And, and so, you know, just teaching it from a, you know, begin with the end of mind, right? And, and where are you supposed to finish at the end of this play and then rush the quarterback from there and just make the line wrong? That's kind of our base teaching. And so that, that goes into everything, right? Uh, three man rush, four man rush, five man rush, six man rush, all those things. And, you know, yeah, so let those guys go. You know, let the, let the guys go up front. Let them go hit the quarterback and, and don't, you know, you can't get mad at guys for going inside, you know, if that's the right, if that's where the ball is, you know. Yeah, the, the, as I'm hearing you describe it, you know, especially playing it from, playing a lot of things from bear front that, you know, with, with what we were trying to do with our protection, regardless of the front is, is somehow I wanted to turn the feel for the quarterback into a seven on seven. Like I wanted that, that guy is of course on his own, you know, maybe with a back chipping out or whatever it might be to, to have that guy on one side. Um, and maybe, maybe it was two guys coming over there. If it was, you know, dependent on the front, but somewhere I wanted to open up a pretty big lane where that guy, you know, it's, it's back to seven on seven. Those guys are not in his face. You know, they're not rushing that vertical rush in, in the interior lanes. We got them distorted wide and now he could step up in the pocket or in, in that window and throw. And, you know, that was always, to me, a beautiful picture when we could, you know, flip the film on and, and you see that those guys, the way, you know, the sort was called the right way. They used the right technique. Um, the, the defense tried to beat them. They were able to, you know, get them, get them uh, blocked up and, and, and move them in a way that it opened up this, you know, enormous throwing window for the quarterback. So, you know, when you're coming and you're saying that opportunity, you can take it inside, take it inside, you know, that window that starts to vary for the quarterback, that that does become tough. I mean, it, you know, you might say, oh, you know, you got to set this edge and, and set contain and whatever. But, you know, now pictures start to change for the quarterback. And you know that the more you can vary things for that guy, the the better off you guys are. Yeah, there's, you know, in, in normal four-man rush with a, a shade or two eye, a three and, and fives or nines, you know, you have that B-gap throwing lane to the, the shade and the, and the five side, right? And so, yeah, allowing that five technique to counter on that on that B-gap when it just expands, I mean, otherwise that, that gap's just huge. And it's, it's an escape lane and it's a throwing lane and you allow the quarterback to, to run down the field. And so I think, you know, primarily from a four-man pass rush, when you're talking about four-man pass rush, if you can keep the back end with your four-man pass rush, there's only four routes. And so that quarterback scramble, that quarterback scramble has to be taken care of by your low hole player in terms of you can't be just, 
telling your DNs to run up field outside and, and then counter back at quarterback depth every time and then just open up that, that B-gap throwing lane for the quarterback, I mean, that curl window is just, you know, it just makes things too easy. You know, it's like that's how you guys draw it up on paper, you know. And uh, we can't let you guys, you know, do that all the time. So I think really letting those dudes pin their earbacks and rush and do what they're on scholarship to do when, when it's four-man pass rush. And then same thing, you know, five-man pass rush, you start getting into America's Blitz and those things. You have that same thing. You have There's an open B gap or an open A gap in there, depending on what you do with your nose or, or whatever. And so, again, allowing those guys to counter back off slides and come out of, you know, come out of that rush and, and counter back to where they're supposed to finish on the quarterback, I think those are nuances that, that you can't practice enough because otherwise you see that same thing. you got five gaps covered. There's one open gap. Quarterback steps up in that open gap and, and goes and scrambles for a first down. I'm thinking of an exact play that happened this year when we were playing Truman Stadiums on a on a third and eight, and the routes recovered, and the quarterback stepped up through that open B gap where the where the nose should have kept crossing face on the guard. Those nuances of pass rush, I think, you know, that's how you get sacks is is through those things. It's you know, obviously you can drop a blitz, you can dictate protection, you know, but it's it's uh, it's getting to the quarterback, and and so yeah, that's. That's huge. But, yeah, bare front, I mean, bare front, everybody protects it just a couple of ways. And so if we, if we can get the protection, we can blitz the back guy, keep the back in, you know, play seven on four in coverage. You know, a lot of people, you know, I, I uh, a lot of people don't like three under three deep. And, you know, we like, we make a lot of money off three under three deep. And, you know, the one thing that's always going to be there is, is, you know, the hitch and the sticks route. You know, if, if you're running one and two vertical and, you know, two keeps going and when one falls out, when the, you know, you have a two over one player with the, with the corner. But, if if you're only playing, you know, if you're only running four routes and we have six in coverage, you know, then, then that's a positive advantage for the defense, you know, I believe. Uh, I think more people need to run. You know, I'm kind of giving some stuff away here, but more people need to get that back out and stretch the defense versus three under three deep, you know, instead of allowing these zone pressures, you know, trying to keep the back in and protect it and read it, you know. So, not a personal opinion there. Well, and on the, on the flip side of it, I liked seeing three under three deep and you know, for us, it, it was, again, we were trying to get those match up, get those five guys blocked so our back could get out into it now and, you know, give us an advantage. But, you know, for us, it was it, one of those things we saw it so much that we kind of built things to attack it. And so there was a lot of four verticals and spacing routes for us, right, where we would get essentially get five guys uh, across the underneath coverage where there's only three. So, you know, it's it's all about numbers, right? Us playing with the numbers on offense, you trying to to stress, you know, numbers and and absorb one if you can, right? I mean, because you're at an advantage if somehow I end up with six blocking, you know, six blocking five. Yeah, and and so like, and, and that, that all comes back full circle to dictating protection, knowing who how to keep the back end, you know, and and that's kind of been my thing over this break as we've as we've had the opportunity to sit here and think and relax and, you know, kind of clear the air and think about what we do and why we do it. And, you know, and I think I, my goal is to, you know, on, on third down, first down, second down, whatever, you know, never call a play again without a specific why to it. You know, why are we doing this? What are we trying to take away? You know, what is the full thought process behind all of it? You know, and, and understanding, okay, I'm, I'm dictating this protection. We're going to get this protection. We're running this blitz for that reason. And the coverage behind it matches because this is their out concept they're going to run. And that's what we're trying to attack. You know, whether it's three-man rush, four-man rush, five-man rush, six-man rush, you know, whatever the rush is, whatever the, the coverage is, but marrying all that together and having a specific purpose from the front end to the back end. And that's kind of been an evolution over the last four years. But I think, you know, having this time now to really 
throw some stuff out of the playbook and then add a couple of things to it and have a purpose, I think is that's kind of been my goal over this, you know, COVID-19 experience. Well, coach, I, I appreciate you. Number one, taking the time to, to do those notes and put something together there. I know I had to delay this a little bit and I saw that on there. I'm like, shoot, I got to, we got to get this in, man. Coach is prepared. So, but I appreciate you preparing for this and sharing those ideas with us. And as always, great to be able to talk ball with you here. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, real, real quick, so I, I can make sure I do this. I know, you know, uh, Division Two, you, you head coaches still get out and recruit. So, for our listeners out there, what areas do you recruit? So, I have Southwest Missouri is where I personally recruit, and then I also recruit all of our transfers. And for our listeners, your Twitter handle. At Todd Drury. All right, Coach. Again, thank you, and we'll, we'll talk ball again soon. All right. Thanks, Keith. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Check it out, all of our, our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, you can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week. Thanks for listening to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast. For more resources, visit the Coach Performance Center at usafootball.com.